I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about machine learning and can we trust it in operations? And it's a really serious question because a lot of the things that we want to use machine learning for don't translate well into operations because operations is a closed loop process where we constantly get feedback and have to adapt and adjust. So we can't just train models and hope that they work. And we get into why that's the case and what we can do about it so that we could use machine learning and AI in operational scenarios. I know this is a podcast you'll enjoy. Sit back and enjoy. AI. Uh, I this is this is to me one of the biggest questions um, here is like how you know if we can use we can throw AI at a whole bunch of problems how do we know it's it's doing the right thing and I I mean I I put an operations hat on this and you know I, if AI is going to turn on and off switches or tune things I guess tuning you can probably rely on maybe. Um, you know, Beth, Beth did a session for LFN where she was talking about using AI to, to tune or detect network anomalies or set up networks. Uh, and it all sounds great. I just don't know how you test it, how you know it's right, how you trust it. I, I, I guess, we, like, are we talking about uh, generalized AI or are we talking about machine learning? Um, uh, <laughs> machine learning. Uh, you're right. Okay. To be specific. I'm not. I'm not thinking about um, for general general AI, but I'm more thinking near term. Maybe it's you know I'd, I'd be happy to go in either direction, but I'm more thinking near term. Um, so mach- machine learning. So part of the the thing with AI is that uh, unless you're using an algorithm and a framework that gives you some visibility. It's a black box. Uh, but if you are, if your initial algorithms are reasonable and you have the checks in the system for the AI, uh, neural networks will give you a reasonable solution. They won't give you a perfect solution, but they should give you a working solution. Uh, so it's now, is it biased? You know, maybe the AI will just keep sticking everything on the same switch, uh, default to AWS East, for instance. <laughs> but um, the, the key is that in general, it will give you something that works. Now, how do you check whether it's a good good solution or not? That's a totally different question. So testing is is very interesting, and actually, we should get some uh, heavy duty test folks onto a discussion of of uh, machine learning and validation because they've been grappling with this for a decade now, mm-hmm. and I haven't been keeping up with my QA folks, my mm-hmm. test folks. I mean, it, it strikes me as you're, you're, you're going to have to run workload, right? I mean, I guess you could put in guardrails and say, don't do this. And, you know, these are things you can't do. You can only tune within these parameters. Um, 
You could also run it on a digital twin. So, or, or, or do a drive run. Um, I mean, or sandbox. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I mean the, the, the applications for for machine learning uh, typically centered towards predictive behavior and self reactive behavior. Uh, otherwise, we, we it's we don't really need machine learning. Like if we're going to be reactive, we might, we might as well just have like other scaling rules or things like that. Um, but where, where machine learning comes handy is when you have historical trend data that you want to apply for future preparedness. And the, 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 the golden example for that is Black Friday, uh, particularly for, for shopping type networks. Where, or, or services like Shopify, is that you know that on Black Friday your traffic is going to spike. Um, so you want to you want to preemptively scale up your deployments. The question is, how much do you need it to scale it up? And, and that is where 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 you we use the machine learning, which looks at the, the historical trends, say that the past couple of years uh, and and. Even even at say year to year, month to month, and day to day trends. So so for example, on Black Friday in the morning, your your load might be higher than than Black Friday uh, late in the day because all of the deals have already gone, and, and everybody has done their has gone through their shopping frenzy, so to say. But um, so. So in that sense, you you don't really need too strong of a boundary because hmm. you know that your your algorithm will will scale up your your deployment upwards, and 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 your ceiling is is really how much you can afford to to scale up, uh, and then you know that at the end of the period it's going to scale back down because the trend. The historical trend says it, it 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 will do that. But so that's a couple of questions though. If you ran Black Friday through the the model, then conceivably you are going to be um, your whole model could be messed up depending on how you know. So would you segment the model and then you know, are you going to rerun all the trap and basically the traffic inputs to Validate that the model. Or you, I mean, it's it, to me, it's it's as hard to train the model as it is to validate. Like get, validating the model could be super hard. You're going to have to rerun the inputs and and not the same inputs because the training inputs really aren't valid for the, for testing inputs. And, so and then, your model would probably for something like like uh, Black Friday, you'd be using your logs, and what you need is the right logs, but if you have uh, a good collection of logs, then it just uh, can do it. It doesn't have to be real-time sequential. They can just do the analysis. But then the question is, is like, what happens when they change the rules of Black Friday, which they did this year? I, I assume that there was a lot of over... Uh, uh, over provisioning because this Friday was different from the past ones. 
and that it's spread over the space of uh, some days and weeks uh, for different companies. But, uh, but I mean, it, it, if you're a cloud consumer uh, and you want to, so, so a cloud consumer meaning like a company that consumes cloud resources and you know that your Black Friday period this year is going to be the same as the previous year, then you should ex then you would expect the traffic to to match that. If instead you you're, you're you're spreading it out, then then of course uh, you want to preemptively lower the ceiling just because you know that. Um, that and do you these AI systems uh, for machine learning allow you to uh, tweak the knobs? That's that the other depends. question. Yeah. yeah, you need to be able to tweak the knobs. The other question I would have is a, a noob would be what happens when the, the infrastructure changes. So let's say last last Black Friday, I was running on an EC2 instance. This Black Friday, I'm running in EKS and Kubernetes clusters. How do I as an organization factor in the potential difference? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, like, if your infrastructure changes, then you, you, you I mean, your 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 all scaling would would likely be still trying to make a prediction. Um, and and uh, in fact, like the a, a good example of a malleable uh, machine learning implementation is so what Elasticsearch does, in, in that basically their machine learning gives you a, a prediction as to what it thinks the the the, the, the value should be or uh, within the, right. in the future and then if the values fall outside of that prediction then you can you can fire off an alert from that but the the algorithm also learns from it and and, and if the values consistency outside the prediction it will adjust future predictions to match that Right, so you're you're retraining the model dynamically in that perspective, because a lot of times the models are not retrained based on current feedback, and and and, and that that you just can't do because then you, you, you all you have is just uh, all all the scaling rules. It's not an actual machine learning model. Would it be possible to instead of measuring performance as a metric, measure something like requests? So Absolutely. Because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the problem of like, okay, one day we're on EC2, the next day we're on EKS, and then what if we change the structure as a whole, but regardless, we still have incoming customer requests, right? We say a customer hits this, this URL, which is tied to these APIs and these services, right? What they're actually hosted on nearly doesn't matter because as long as we're checking the metrics, like the load time, the response time, et cetera, we can then say, hey, over the course of time, like on a on a seven day general period, here's our load balancing time. Here's our load request time, and you could probably make predictions off of that that says for every fifty requests, we need to be able to handle this much traffic or this much load. I don't I don't know if that would be possible. I do, but do you even need machine learning for that? I I mean, we're if we're talking about it as a, as a predictive behavior. Uh, I guess it would just tend itself to loading into uh, a pre-warming stage, right? So it's an automatic, because 
The problem with the machine learning on something with spike events is teaching the model to understand that this is a spike event, right? That you have Black Black Friday as a model, and then you'd have in, in the United States, we also have like Labor Day sales, and we have all these other time period sales that you have to train models to say, these are spikes, they're one-off behaviors, but they're recurse or they're repetitive on a yearly scale. Yeah, and you're right there. Uh, Michael, like you, you want to model the, the common denominator. Uh, so if you know that uh, your, your, your current, let's say, eight core instances can handle, I don't know, a million requests per minute, uh, then assuming that you have linear scaling, your a, a, a set of 16 core instances will will be able to handle two million requests per, uh, per minute and you you can you should be able to adjust your all scaling factors accordingly like a, a, as a multiplier yeah I, I i think from that perspective you would almost want to have two parallel learning systems going on where it's a measurement of requests and time and then the measurement of instances and services being, or I'm sorry, instances, like whatever those instances are, EKS, whatever, they get like measured independently. And then maybe even like a third, again, this is me talking outside my realm of expertise, but a third system that pairs the two data sets to say, hey, we saw an increase in, in instance for this load under these thousands, millions, billions of connections. But and and there's another vector to me in this in this conversation, which is that the control changes that you want to make are are actually impactful control changes, right? Part of the part of the learning algorithm here is is detecting that you have an anomaly. It's also and and so we we have three dimensions, which is I need the log inputs that show me that that some some material that I actually have a material thing I can monitor. I've got, you know, things I can control and change that are um, used that actually make make differences with that, and then I've got a results. I got some way to measure the results that are that are also meaningful. And, um, and then you also got to compare the cost of running machine learning uh, 365 versus the opportunity cost of manual scaling. or reactive, um, like all the scaling? Well, I think from that perspective, um, it, it, I would say it almost depends on the industry that you work in. So think think like Amazon right now, right? Where if, if a service, if, if, a, if, a, if, a, if an API call can be reduced by like two to three milliseconds, that's worth a lot of money. Because in, in my previous job, one of the things that we did do metrics and me measurements on was, how long customer retention takes on a page that we knew that if content didn't start loading on a web page under a certain threshold, customers would then hit back or hit reload or hit something else that would cause them to not buy the product. So in our case, or in their case, it would be beneficial to say, I need to know exactly how long certain things behave because I can correlate. If I can keep an extra 10% of buying, if, it, if that cost benefit analysis correlates. So yes. Is with yeah, and the key with with AI with machine learning is 
all these different dimensions all get put into a single system. And the single system uses its neural networks and the training to balance everything out. So you don't have multiple AI systems. It's a single system taking multiple different dimensions. And you, the system hopefully is designed so you can weight things and be able to say, no, that's not what I want. That was a bad response. Right. Well, you, you, you need the training, the training is going to require you to provide it with positive and negative. And right, you're going to actually have to also be able to do it in real time. With, Imagine, with the systems that we're talking about from that perspective, you have to be able to say, you know, you, this th within this range is the, my desired result and outside of this range is my you know, undesired results. I mean, th right. that's part of training. You do, you do have to give it some... Yeah. Characteristic. Um, but, but I could see like I could see an example. We, we were talking about the networking stuff uh, in best talk. And I can see an example where you sit down and you train your networks in, in based on lab traffic or traffic without an intrusion. And the model, you know, doesn't have the anomalous data or the spike or the, the bad actors. And it could actually end up rewarding the bad actors because it might might identify that traffic as high priority traffic. Exactly. So you need some way to intervene real time when it starts doing that. And but, the question is, is whether your system is set up in such a way that you could just turn it off or whether there's a way to uh, add that negative uh, flag into things and have it yeah. remix. But I guess my question was, how do you even know? like? So we put a machine learning model into a switch and it's guiding traffic and it's, it's doing its job and that looks and everything looks like it's great. How do I know that it, you know, and maybe the answer is I don't. You that I, don't that I know it. whether it's doing a great job when it's working in the normal space because it's just doing a job and it is doing a good enough job. It's when it gets to those anomalous spaces, um, spikes and things like that, where you watch it and determine whether it's doing what you want it to do or not. Well, the, even in, in even in a, in a normal case, you, you, you can do some comparison. You, you, you need a baseline to compare against. Like a, compare a, a machine learning smart switch versus a dumb switch. Yeah, you need your own knowledge to, to deal with the, the AI's, uh, to compare against the AI's behavior. But that's why you sit there and say, everything's working. You've got all your, your um, monitoring and uh, observability stuff up and watching and, and no red flags. That means that whether it's doing a great job or not, it is doing its job in that it's keeping it in the in spec. Right. But this is, I mean, the models, my understanding is that trained models aren't necessarily portable. Um, meaning you can't, you can't, you, you, once you get a model, you can apply it to the inputs, but you, it's, you can't really update it without retraining it. 
Um, um, so, yes and, and no. Um, okay. I mean, uh, the models themselves likely don't change that often. Uh, what, what would change is the tuning parameters that you give the model. Do you, um, you also have, have the feed, your models have to, and your system has to have the feedback loop. So there's always some amount of training going on and the, the real time has to be added to the, uh, the uh, training database. If you don't do that, then this whole thing wouldn't be flexible enough to to run a real site, a, a real large operation site. Yeah, w w without the feedback loop, you 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 you're skipping the learning. You just have a machine. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you can't have a static model for what we're trying to do. Yeah. Okay. That that statement, I think, is is. A very big deal. It's not like we're looking for cats and pictures. Um, exactly. Static model. Yeah. Even, or oh, even yeah. words, or even words in a in a vocal print. What we're what we're actually looking for. Feed, it, it, there's a feedback loop inherent in the application into ops for um, for machine learning. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you just have an expert system. An important distinction. Yeah, I, I, and you also have to to have the right data on on it, and um, you need to match your model for your situation. Like not every model works everywhere, um, as we have seen historically. For example, with with just with a Bayesian classifier um, and, and uh, spam detection, like it, it started really well, but it was very easy to fool. And that brings us to Twitter's new uh, model of not letting people <laughs> post pictures that are private individuals. <laughs> They're using AI and it's failing <laughs> quickly. Huh? I'm not familiar with this. I mean, I mean they, they, they have to use AI at, at the scale at which you're operating, that there, there's no way to, to have um, human supervised review of pictures. Yep, and uh, and right now they're going through that that period where the AI is demonstrating its knowledge and they're learning where the AI is failing, and so the AI is training them at the moment. <laughs> that's how it works. That, that that's how you train a, a model, like you. You 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 give it your, your data. You give it your, uh, your your parameters, and if the output is not what you expect, you, you tweak the parameters based on on, on what you see. Oh, um, but let let me go through a scenario though um, that I've been trying to figure out. You know, for like, because we get we get people come up and they're like, "You should be able to use AI ML." General, obviously, 
super generalized, but AIML to help improve me operate, you know, make sure my BIOS is set right and operate the servers and make sure there's no anomalies in everything I set up. Um, and and there's two things that we've we've said so far that to me make it make that really really hard. <laughs> One is if I showed up with a, a pre-learned model, it wouldn't wouldn't really do much for control because your what you're doing and the control points you have need to be learned in situ because it's a, a feedback loop. Um, Correct. And then the other one is if I w- if you were actually to do, go then try to train it in situ, generating a sufficient data set for the training is going to require you actually have having a you know a sufficient volume of of data like training in a lab where I flip a whole bunch of buttons doesn't necessarily work to build a model that I can use even in my own environment. I'm going to have to. A different it's a different ml approach so this is the gotcha that people don't understand in back in the old days expert systems and now uh machine learning you gotta do the work before you can actually learn from the work you've done i mean there are definitely cases where ml is beneficial but just like blockchain it, in many cases, it's a solution in, in, in search for a problem. Um, there, there's no reason to use ML if if standard rules or like like fixed rules are sufficient. Like, for example, no level scaling. If if your reaction time for your auto scaling is a matter of seconds instead of minutes. Then you will you will not need machine learning because the 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 outscaling group is already fat, as fast as, as as your model is going to be. Um, conversely, though, uh, also um, there are cases where where your machine learning or we're using machine learning is going to be. A better choice because otherwise you would need to consistently tweak your parameters on, on your on your fixed rules to, to match reality. So um yeah it it, it is a, a niche solution. Um it can be very powerful uh and depending on the model you use you, you can avoid some of the common pitfalls uh that the I mean, it, it's it's also not necessary that, that that a pre-trained model will perform badly. When you look at if you look at GPT three, mm, okay. um, you you can give it very little data, uh, and it can perform passively. Uh, it just happens to be a very heavy-handed solution for for most cases, and and and, and you wouldn't want to use it for for like network machine learning. It's it's, it's domain specific for linguistics, uh, but. Yeah, so it it's it's a matter again of of choosing the right solution for the right problem. So, for instance, also, Rob, go ahead, Rob. What day two? So day two operations run pretty smoothly, and people actually have hmm. come across solutions to deal with alarms and all these other things. And so, there's a large data collection of logs and whatnot that show that an operator made this intervention 
and everything came back to normal or made this intervention and things got worse. But for day zero, like your provisioning and rack and stuff, the only way to generate a data set good enough to uh, train an AI so that new provisioning can be handled by AI is to collect all of the all of the provisioning logs and information that your company that gets generated on Racken from every single right. different company and feed it into an AI to use at customer sites. Your Racken <laughs> is the only place yeah. that could collect all the information that would make the, the training data set reasonable enough to use but Racken doesn't even get that get access to its customer stuff. So Racken can't implement an yeah. AI solution because customers won't give them the data to do so. Well, I definitely agree. That's 22. Um, well, but it, it is and it isn't because part of what I'm taking away from this is that um, it's the, the, the machine learning part is not is is only part of the system that's necessary to make all this stuff work. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, it's it's the last part of the system that you can build. The because the, the scenario you described would be totally reasonable if you said, "All right, I'm going to go do you know 50 deployments, and I'm going to rehearse it in the lab, and I have a system that gives me good data back, lets me profile the systems, and validates it as." you know, during the run. And then when you're in the field replicating that environment, you could use the machine learning pattern. This is, I think, what Klaus was was saying, is that you could get enough value out of the machine learning that without an expert telling you everything that was checked right or wrong could actually be saying, this looks like the pattern I'm used to seeing. Great. This doesn't look like the pattern I'm I'm used to seeing. Slow down, stop, you know, troubleshoot. Um, and then ideally you would then, you could, you could say that if that, if that model is lightweight enough, you would then keep training it. Yeah. You would, you would take, you would go in the field and say, all right, I've, 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 pre, I've pre-wired a model. I've warmed it up. Now I, now when I go and, and replicate that experience, I think this is the same thing with, with where I wasn't connecting with Beth was talking about with switches. If I have an AI model and a switch that's monitoring the traffic, as long as I know that the model is going to keep learning inside that switch, I don't know if it's possible or, or adjacent to that switch, then you know I can I can actually have a reasonable hope of getting, um, you know, an AI monitored network, machine learning monitored network. Um, but there's there's a lot of it's not the machine learning; it's the actual data inputs and the controls and the yes. the you know. Yeah. So, so, and if you don't give it access to the AI system to the right inputs, controls, and ways to to measure output success, then you won't have a good AI system. Yeah. I mean, uh, let let's look also also, uh, at a different case for machine learning, which is in the the security field, like uh, like threat detection. In the end, what it boils down to is anomaly detection. So, so your machine learning tool uh, uses uses the model to, or, or builds a model 
or saying this is the normal traffic. This is what I expect to see. And raises an alert when your your actual traffic falls outside the parameters. Like for example, if your traffic is mostly ingress and suddenly you're seeing gigabytes of egress data, that's an anomaly. And, and, and that is something that your machine learning model can pick up. Uh, it's something that is very difficult to, to, to configure with fixed rules as well, because you don't know what, what, what port the traffic is going to be on. You don't know what, uh, the, at, the, at the beginning, you don't know what the reasonable thresholds are for, uh, for ingress eager data, um, and, and so on. Uh, and similarly, and I, I, would, I go ahead. And I would compare that to AI ops. What you just described to me is AI ops. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, AI ops is right. It, it's another buzzword, right? The, the 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 AI aspect of that is is very very limited. And yes, machine learning is a subfield of of, of artificial intelligence, but but. Calling it AI is is <laughs> like, like calling hot dogs Western cuisine. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, <laughs> back from the the first hype wave on AI back in the eighties, uh, what what the um, the general community said was all this fancy hand waving and us not really having good solutions is the AI part of AI. And anytime something gets good enough where it can be uh, commercially viable, it gets its own name, such as machine learning or expert systems. Mm-hmm. And so AI is this, this hazy, vague cloud of future software advancements that get you closer to independent machine operations, totally independent machine operations. And in reality, once it gets a name, then it might be usable. (laughs) I I want to say that's wrong, but but I I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Mm That's that's what came out of the first uh, hype cycle, and and expert systems was one of the the first things that came out. What's expert systems? But uh, the precursor to machine learning, what we call machine learning right now. In that, in the past, you took experts and you sat them down and you grilled them and you build an inference engine based on their information. Now you take the the work that they do on machines and feed it into a system and train it and you have machine learning, but you still have to have that basic expert information somewhere that has been captured that can be repurposed and fed into one of these uh, computational systems to say, yep, yep, we got it now. Well, I I would say more that expert systems, you're, you're, you're basically building a decision tree and with with machine learning, you uh, you loosen the you're, you're the, the parameters so that you don't. With, with an expert system, you, you expect certain inputs and you produce certain outputs. Yep. So it, it, it it's not a black box. It's, it's it's deterministic. You have you have this input, you, you get the same output. With machine learning, you, you realize 
the the set of inputs is too large for me to build a, a decision tree. So you, you you let the you let the machine figure it out stochastically. Yes, stochastically, which is really important because for a long time, AI systems didn't believe math was involved. <laughs> uh, up until the eighties, and then for from for the eighties until uh, I would say around two thousand and like late nineties, early two thousands, uh, statistical systems were the kings, uh, and only mm-hmm. recently have rule based uh, systems uh, started to creep back. And, and recently, I mean, last twenty years or so, uh, not fully replacing them, but but enhancing them. But because the, the biggest pitfall of of early stochastic systems up until again like. 20 years ago, was that they suffered from overtraining. Huh. Yeah, I, I can see that. Overtraining? Yeah. But like, let, let's, I mean, again, look at the example of, of Black Friday. Like, if, mm. if, if, you're, if your system is not smart enough to say there will be anomalies that are, that are not really anomalies, that are predictable, then if you train it on, on, on a day-by-day basis over a year, it will not predict Black Friday because it, it will say, well, I, I have <laughs> I have a, like a, a weekly solitude pattern where, where it's more busy, say, Mondays and, and, and not at all busy on a Friday. But, but yeah, so, so early stochastic models suffered from that. Uh, partially also because the, the, there were limited computationally like we didn't like we we didn't have multi-core systems white like widespread until fairly recently so so the ability to do parallel computation only like has only exploded within within the past decade i want to say like 15 years ago like uh doing machine learning using a gpu was unthought of Actually, 15 years, it wasn't, but the GPUs weren't powerful enough to do much of, of anything. I mean, back in, so it's the combination of technology going from discrete machines and huge banks and racks of stuff down into single chips and suddenly single chips having multiple machines on them. So that whole translation thing makes a lot of this more possible. But I would say that multi-core really wasn't out there before 10 years is, is the furthest back when when the 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 uh forward-looking folks were actually really starting to explore it and use it. Because oh. they had the machines, but they didn't have the cores tied together back before much before 2010 i mean i mean you you still had more uh, like parallel processing way before that well uh, yeah like i mean lo- yeah. look at the first uh b box like bios like but, those were dual processor well uh, you, you, there were lots of things that had multiple processors in them but until it became easier to uh to automatically code to spread across multiple cores or to actually highlight multiple cores, 
the whole virtual machine thing was, it was there in 2010 and it was coming out, but you still had people saying things like, oh, I just built a new virtual machine. If I need a hundred virtual machines, I put it out there on my poor CPU box and I get all the power I need. Mm-hmm. And so that this, was, this was, 2008, this was back- 2009 when people were saying that. So it really does only mm-hmm. go back to about 2010 where it was in the general computing population and starting to be used there. It was in all the specialty things because even the B-Box was kind of special one-off. You didn't get a lot of people who have any idea that it even existed ever. It was a hobby. There was a day, there was a day when Hadoop, right? Hadoop was, was the rage. And the thing that Hadoop did that was unusual was they distributed the processing because they had to accommodate spinning disks. And the speed that the, the, the egress and speed for spinning was what led to uh, the machine learning, uh, the the approaches yeah. of training stuff and whatnot, because it was able to suck all that information out of non-standard databases. It was able to deal with non-structured data. And that well, was the key to the current machine learning uh track that's going on one of the keys well the the, the, the big the big change that that came in with, with hadoop on 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 on, bef- on even shortly before i went to hadoop was the map reduce approach yes basically in, in, instead of ha- instead of doing synchronous calculations you, you just throw all of your calculations out there let the system in this case hadoop but but later on many others finish them all in a certain amount of time uh, and then give you back the results and then you collect the results and, and build them all based on those. Yep. That, that was a big revolution for machine learning. And, exactly. and, that, uh, and, and it came further down later late on like to, to web development as, as well, like actors and, and asynchronous uh, um, hmm. JavaScript even. Like, like, I don't know if you guys remember, but, but back when... And when Google Maps first came out, people were amazed at, at how responsive it was. And, and it was because <laughs> yeah. they were asynchronously loading parts of, of the map. I do remember. It, it was mind-blowing back then. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, we, and we take, we take this asynchronization, asynchronicity for granted now. Um, and, it's built, and it's built into the web framework today, <laughs> which is really cool. All right. Um, I'm going to let us wrap on that point. I have a an, an AWS update if people are interested, just since yes. it's topical. Please. Uh, I'll put it back up on screen. Um, so they just posted, while we were talking, they posted a new update about what's going on for them. I'll zoom in. Um, multiple, so, but they're, they're basically having a USE's meltdown. And they're saying it's based on the root cause is the impairment of several network devices in the US East region. Um, don't know what that means. Probably BGP routing, if if <laughs> or yeah. DNS issue, if uh, if uh, things are are true to form in the the universe in general. That, um, somebody pushed out a bad config. So I okay. Or they could have a hardware problem in one of their big routers, or a couple so, of their big routers. Th- yeah. This has actually happened to AWS before, and it's a cyclical problem because they've had issues where like smaller scale, you have four routers and two and two in HA pairs, 
but one one of the two goes down, causes the load to fail over to the secondary. The secondary can't handle it, which causes the traffic to swap to the to the next pattern, and the mm. time causes the cyclical behavior of we're failing over and we're not able to support the load, and they can't keep in front of the problem. Uh, and I will take this opportunity to go back to my earlier comment about House of Cards. That's why like network traffic needs rate limiting. Uh, it, it's, it is like a scaling failure. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. this is something where, and this, if we wrap it, roll it back into the the whole AI thing, uh, mm. it doesn't matter how much AI you throw at this, you might be able to do some mitigation until you hit the system limits where you have too much traffic to be handled by the remaining hardware systems, and then there's not much mitigation you can do other than trying to slow the cascade uh, until you get to, get to the point where you can get fresh hardware in there to to bleed off the uh, overflow. And and this well, actually, is a place I, I, where I, would, I would argue that this would be a, yeah. Go ahead, I, I would argue the opposite that that the lack of AI is causing this cascade, uh, and, a, and a properly oh. trained model would realize that the backends are not able to handle the increase in load uh, and, and that the that the load no cannot be rerouted so so it should be dropped instead instead of ah. trying to very hard to route it yeah so but the the dropping yeah, still trained. appears to the rest of the end users as you got a problem there still so there's uh, uh, yeah. But absolutely yes. Yeah. But but what this will improve is recovery time. Exactly, exactly, and reduce the the impact to just those folks that you were dropping. So you dropped you judiciously, and you can round robin or something like that, which the AI won't understand until it sees somebody doing that. But you can actually mitigate how many people it affects and how long it affects any individual person if you can apply AI well to the the limited hardware issue. You have to train for that on purpose. Yes. Well, you, yeah. you can't train for it until you... I, you can train for it. The question is whether you can get a successful pattern before, as a human, you have come up with a successful pattern that shows that it works. Uh, you can let your AI try and do it, and it'd be great if it came up with that successful pattern without you, but you can't mm. count on it to come up with that successful pattern. I, I actually have a, a profound thought on this. It's not just AI-related, but I think it's, it's um, in that, Right, we're talking about AI training, so AI understanding what normal is, and then being wired for that. Part of the thing that makes cloud, I think, potentially very dangerous for us is that when you build something on cloud, the cloud already exists when you've built it, and it's incredibly hard, if not impossible, to build contingencies for the for the cloud itself not not behaving the way you expect. As you build, as you build on top of it, it's definitely hard to predict, which is why it's, it, which is why uh, things like chaos engineering are are so important. You, you need yeah. to be breaking your system on a consistent basis, it, to to verify that it is resilient. 
And yes, the, the that, chaos right. That's the first lesson out of Netflix was they were like, yeah, we can't trust that these systems are reliable, even though they're supposed to be utilities. Right. And the chaos engineering and what it does is how you purposefully uh, train the AI system on that uh, on your your uh, infrastructure. But that's also the reason why it's called critical infrastructure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't use chaos engineering for, for training but because it's not a pre predictable pattern. I, I, I would use it for, however, for, uh, for, for testing uh, uh, the model. Not, well, and that's good where point. I would say you get some good, and the difference is you get chaos engineers who are systematic and, and, and good at the testing who understand that if you just leave chaos engineering to chaos, you're going to miss stuff. But if you get somebody with a, a QA slash test perspective doing the chaos engineering as chaos engineering testing or um, exercise, if you will, then you will get a really good set of uh, training data that you might otherwise not get from just running the system normally and letting it go because they will be seeking out, those engineers will be seeking out those corner cases, edge cases where the system is less likely to break, but they want to break it anyway. So you get a, a much more full set of information from, from good chaos engineers. All right. We need, we need to wrap it up. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Good comments. <laughs> All right, everybody. My pleasure. Until next time. Next yep. time is I, I'll I'm going to do demos on uh, the infrastructure pipelines. Cool. Stuff, so. Oh, and just FYI, today. I can't get all of my uh, my Linux packages off the internet. Uh, they won't all come off because I assume AWS. So I can't update my system until AWS heals a little bit. Oh yeah, no. This is this is this is going to be a very long day for a lot of people. Yep. Systems are down globally, definitely in the U.S. Well, right. for, for SREs at least. Yeah. Uh, it, SRE. you, I, I actually, what I'm it's seeing on, on the Twitter Friday. stuff is that there's there's a ton of SaaS companies that are dead in the water because of their reliance, right? And then then it's cascading. So uh, you know, if if you depend on a SaaS company that needs to come up, then you're stock so you could have like a saml i mean you could have a saml login problem because you can't log to, into something that had a dependency on anyway so i'd also like to point out that notice this happened after black friday they did not make any changes on black friday it's like let's get it as stable as possible and keep mm -hmm. it this is an upgrade <laughs> or reinvent yeah or, or reinvent so yeah, as soon as reInvent is open, over, look what happened. A stack up of changes that need to go in and one of them broke it. I agree. Mm. It, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern or a coincidence, however, like can, can we use machine learning to figure that out? Uh, the, the problem is, well, possibly the problem is, and this is a mipsy tipsy thing, is that when you <laughs> don't push continuously, you get uh, a backlog. And once you have a backlog, it's a lot easier to introduce breaking problems when you try and roll the entire backlog out at once. Mm 
True. So we'll see if that turns out to be the case and whether they even admit to that. Uh, I mean, historically, Amazon has been more forthcoming with their with their root causes than Google has. Oh yeah. Google is just oh, there was a problem. We fixed it. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. And Google's sitting there going, "Gee, what did they do? Can we avoid doing that too?" <laughs> and no, but they, there's no way they can avoid their own. Everybody's everybody. This is. Everybody's uh yep, everybody's catastrophe different. is is their own unique <laughs> anyway. I'm hopping yep. off. Yep. Yeah, I gotta Thanks, run too. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Um the AWS outage was going on at the same time. And uh, our comments about that, I think, are really pertinent about how do we improve operational controls and use machine learning, if possible, to do a better job of dealing with these types of outages. And our insights on that, I think, were really, really profound in that the backdrop of having a day-long AWS outage um, really added uh, something to that. Hope you'll join us at the 23rd.cloud. Come in, be a part of these conversations. We really want your perspective. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.